those uh, who are with us and to those who are watching online. We're going to do something that uh, we've done now for the last um, 14, 14 years. Uh, we have done it with every presidential election since we started this church. And I want to throw a scripture passage up on the screen. I want you to read it with me, not out loud, but I want you to listen to what we're told. Paul said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. The reason why he says, I want you to pray for our leaders is that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, I want to be brief, but let me just say a couple of things here before we pray. I think all of us would agree that we're, we're probably as divided a nation right now as we've ever been in our lifetime. And it grieves me and it hurts me. And, and I want to say a word to, to all of us in this room because some of you may be new and you may not realize this. We, we, pray for, we pray for every president after every presidential election since, 2000, since the year 2000, actually in 2004, so 12 years ago. So beginning in 2004, we prayed for President Bush, and then we prayed for President Obama. We prayed for President Obama. Today we're going to pray for President-elect Trump. And the reason we do that has nothing to do with who you voted for or who you voted against. This is what God tells us to do. And I think we would all agree that whoever got elected really needs our prayers, right? I mean, I wouldn't have the job for all the money in the world. So here's what I want to say. I realize there's some of you out there that are, you're very disappointed. You may be fearful. You're confused. You may feel like that people said certain things with their vote, whether they meant to say them or not. This is what I want to say to us, and this is what I want to say to all of you. If there's anybody, and I've said this before, that ought to be uniters and not dividers, it ought to be us. If there's anybody, listen, this is a great time. You, you, we have Jesus, the Apostle Paul said, we have the ministry of reconciliation. So this is what I'm going to ask all of us to do, okay? When you hear people, and we're going to be talking about this thing for a while, it's just the way it's going to be. When you hear someone talk about the election and, and, and the results, whether it's positive or negative, I'm going to encourage you to do what I do. Just don't say anything. There's no need to. For example, you may be tempted. Somebody may, maybe somebody's talking about the candidate you didn't vote for or the candidate that you did. And, and, and you're, you may be tempted to jump in and you may be tempted to get in a debate. I'm going to ask us, let's just don't do that, okay? It's not going to help anybody. Every chance we get, let's be reconcilers. Let's be uniters. Let, let's do, be loving and gracious and kind to those that maybe disagree with us politically. Because at the end of the day, this is what I really do believe. Number one, for all of us in this room who know and love Jesus, we're all parts of a bigger kingdom. We're all parts of a bigger thing than this country, okay? Presidents come and go. Elections come and go. God's on the throne. God's still there, okay? God's still for us. God's still with us. So as believers, but at the end of the day, President Obama's right. At the end of the day, we're Americans. And that's why we live in such a great country, okay? So what we're about to do has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with obeying what God told us to do, what we've been asked to do. I, I don't know about you. I, I really would like to just live a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and holiness. That's really what I just want to do. And if I'm going to do that, Paul said, then you've got to pray for your leaders. So, again, we do this for everybody. No matter who won Tuesday, 
we're going to do this. I want you to know that. So I don't want you to think, well, he's doing it because this person wanted that person. Well, nope, it has nothing to do with that at all. We're doing it because this is what God called us to do. So if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to get on your knees with me right now, if you don't mind. And I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer and obeying the Lord. And let's pray for our president who is leaving and the president-elect who is about to come. And then I'm calling on us. Let's practice the ministry of reconciliation. Let's not do anything to be dividers. Let's do everything we can to be uniters. And I know that you'll do that. Heavenly Father, I'm sure many people in this room are like me. We're just stunned. I mean, I think a lot of people are expecting one thing, and then you just, you know, you never know. What I do know is this. I, a great man once said, if you want to know what the sovereign will of God is, see what happened yesterday. So we just have to accept whatever's happened as your sovereign will. And, and, and Lord, we don't always know how to respond and how to act. And, and again, I want to pray, first of all, before I pray for both presidents, I want to pray for the people both in this room and in our nation that are hurting, angry, confused. Lord, I just pray that, that, that we would just simply play a role every chance we get to even take the focus off of the election and put our focus on the one who is the greater elector. That's our Heavenly Father. And I pray, Father, that we would always take every opportunity we can to be gracious and to be uniters and not dividers. I pray for President Obama in the last two months of his office. I pray, Father, that you'll put your good hand upon him. I want to thank you for the graciousness and the way that he has handled himself and handled his office and how he's helped to lead us as a president after the election was over. And I pray a blessing on him and his precious, precious wife and those two beautiful daughters. I thank you for the example he has set for us as a father and as a husband. And Lord, I, I know that the president loves the nation, loves this country. We're grateful for his eight years of service. And then we do pray for President-elect Trump and his wife and his family. Father, as I pray for every president, as I have every Thursday for all the years that I had a prayer journal, I just simply pray for this man that you will turn his heart toward righteousness, toward godliness, toward holiness. I pray that he would indeed go to work even today afresh in you to be the president of all of us. Lord, at the end of the day, I know that neither President Obama nor President-elect Trump nor any other politician can bring unity to this nation. Only you can do that. And you want to do it through us. So I pray for that unity. I pray for that peace. And I pray for that healing. And Lord, I pray most of all that a great spiritual awakening would come to our nation. Thank you for my church. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the gracious way they've handled themselves through what's been a bitterly divided election. And Lord, I thank you for the way that we're going to leave today. And we're going to be reconcilers and uniters. And so we give all of this to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you so very much. Let me tell you something. One thing is true about every human being on the planet, and that is we're going to die. And, and the fact of the matter is what's so aggravating is this. We know we're going to die. Here's what's aggravating. We don't know when, and we don't know where, and we don't know how. We're literally here today and one day going to be gone tomorrow. Now, let me tell you why I want you to take that seriously. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen to you the second you die. Now, you may think I can't do that. I can. I really can. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen to you the moment that you die. You're going to leave behind all that you have. And you're going to take with you all that you are. You're going to leave behind all that you have. 
You're going to take with you all that you are. And that's why the series that we're in ought to be important to everybody in this room and everybody listening to me right now, whether you've got a little money or you've got a lot of money. And we've been saying that when something is managed well, when something's done with excellence and has good results, we've got a little phrase we'll use, we'll say it's right on the money. And what we're trying to share with you today is something most of us know, and that is very few people really are right on the money when it comes to money which is why the series that we're doing right now is so important. And by the way, it may be why God's Word talks more about managing money than it talks about prayer, our faith, our heaven, our hell. And I got to thinking, why, why does God talk so much about money? Why, 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 you know, God, I don't think He's obsessed with it. Obviously, He doesn't need it. He already owns it. So why does God talk so much about money? Well, I think there are two reasons why. Number one, most people don't know how to manage their money. We talked about that last week. I'm not being ugly or unkind or elitist or arrogant when I say that. I'm just being honest. As a pastor, I can tell you when I've counseled people who've had financial difficulties and I've counseled a lot of them, 99% of the time, here's their problem. They simply didn't manage their money well. They either did not know how to do it or they just didn't do it. So that's one reason. Second reason why I believe that God, wants, God talks so much about money is real simple. He wants us to be right on the money with our money. Why would he want that? Because nothing can hinder your relationship with God. Nothing will affect your character. Nothing will control your life more than money. It is not coincidental, ladies and gentlemen. It is not coincidental that the number one problem in troubled marriages is money. It is not coincidental that money kills friendships. It is not coincidental that money destroys families. It's not coincidental that money even sends prison of people to prison. In fact, it's not even coincidental that Jesus said this. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. He didn't say you cannot serve both God and Georgia football, which I'm tempted to serve at times like last night. Go dogs. He didn't say you cannot serve God in food. He didn't say you cannot serve God. He picked on one thing. He said, you can't serve God in money. Why did he say that? He said, because he knew the one thing you'll be tempted to serve all of your life, the one thing you'll be tempted to get, get, let have control of you all of your life is money. So when you're right with God, you will be right on the money because when you put God in his proper place, you will put money in its proper place. And see, here's our problem. God wants to be our master. He wants money to be our servant. We reverse it too often. We want God to be our servant, and we allow money to be our master. And too often, we reverse that. So last week, we talked about taking the right approach to money. And here's what we said. If you were not here last week, I'll give you a quick little one-minute Wikipedia version of it. What I said last week was, we're under this impression that we need money to meet our needs. And on the surface, you know that appears to be true. Well, pastor, I can't pay my bills without money. I can't buy food without money. I can't put gas in my car without money. Of course, money is what meets our needs. Well, the apostle Paul came along, and he said, you know what? You're wrong. He said, it's not money that meets your needs. You say, well, how does he know? Because Paul is a man that lived his life totally dependent on God, and this is what Paul wrote. He said, and my God will meet all your needs, not your money. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul said, if you think you need money to meet your needs, you're wrong. You need God to meet your needs. Because it's God that actually gives you the money that you think you need to meet 
your needs. And I'll prove this to you. I'll prove to you why your greatest need is God. I told you last week, there are two things you've got, you need right now more than anything else in the world. You need a beat to your heart and breath to your lungs. If God takes the beat away and the breath away, guess what? I got a room full of dead people, and sometimes I think I'm preaching that anyway. All right, now look, I'm teasing. That's the greatest need you have. So even right now, even though you didn't realize it, God is not only meeting the greatest need of your life, but he's meeting a need money can't buy. Money can't buy breath for your lungs, not on a long-term basis. Money can't buy beat to your heart, not on a long-term basis. So right now, God is meeting your greatest needs. And here's what I simply said last week. If you just believe that one verse, if you forget every other verse in the Bible, forget everything else God says about money. I said last week, if we all just believe that one verse, it would totally change the way many of you approach your money. It would totally change, change the way you look at money. It would totally change the way you think about money. So last week we talked about the right approach to money. Today I want to talk about the right attitude toward money. And it's based on something that Jesus said, and I'm absolutely convinced of this. If you will believe one thing that Jesus said, your attitude toward money will never, ever be the same. Now, if you brought a copy of God's Word, or you want to pull out your iPhone or your smart pad or whatever it is that you use, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. Now, if you don't know where the book of Acts is, we'll make it real easy for you to find. It's in the New Testament, okay? There's an Old and New Testament. New Testament's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20. There's a statement. In Acts chapter 20 that Jesus made, as a matter of fact, it's really interesting. It is one of the very few places outside the Gospels where Jesus is directly quoted. Now, let me just, before I tell you what Jesus said, let me kind of give you fair warning. I will be the first one to tell you that when you read what Jesus said, when you hear what Jesus said, it's going to be counterintuitive. You're going to think, that can't be true. That's just, uh, with all respect, Jesus, that can't be right. And you're going to find it very difficult to believe. So I want to just go ahead and kind of, kind of give you a fair warning. I understand what some of you are going to be thinking. I understand you're going to be very, very skeptical, and you're going to scratch your head, and you're going to go, that's just not right. That's just not possible. We're in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Listen to this. Paul said, in everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering, now he's calling back something Jesus said. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. And if you don't mind, let's just read these words together. You ready? It is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, let's say it one more time. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, can I just be honest? <laughs> that just doesn't sound logical to me. I mean, logic tells me, right? If I give you something that you don't have, you'll have more of what you didn't have, and I will have less of what I did have. And that's what logic says, right? Back, back, go back to the first grade. I don't know if they still teach this or not. Some of, you, some of you remember this. You remember this question in the first grade? You remember this one? If you have two apples and you give Johnny one apple, how many apples will you have left? How many of you remember being asked that question first grade? All right, all right, that was the first question. We, we, we started doing math in the first grade. That was the first question we were asked. Okay, if Johnny has two apples and you give him one apple, then how many apples will you have? Now, we know mathematically what the answer to that question is. You will have one less apple than you started with. And Johnny will have one more apple 
than he didn't have. Now, we know that. In fact, I remember my first grade teacher, Mrs. Cooper, who's still living, by the way, had lunch with her about a year ago. Mrs. Cooper, I remember she asked me that question in class. She said, okay, I want to ask you a question. You know, if, if you've got two apples and you give Johnny one apple, then how many apples will you have left? Now, here's what I wanted to answer. I wanted to say to her, well, I'll tell you what I'll have. Johnny will have one apple more than he deserves, and I'll have one less apple than I deserve. That's the answer to that question, right? Because that's what we think. But God is greater than logic, and God is greater than math, and God says, I know it's hard to believe. I know it's counterintuitive. I know you're skeptical, but God says, I'm telling you, you will be more blessed. You will be better off. It will be more profitable to you if you will give rather than get. And by the way, it all boils down to that word blessed. He said, Jesus said, it is more blessed, you'll be more blessed, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, I think there's a reason why Jesus said that. Because, see, there's something I know that's true about everybody. I mean, if, if you're not a real religious or spiritual person, I, I know what I'm about to tell you is true. Everybody wants to be blessed. Everybody. As a matter of fact, there's a prayer that, that practically, I, I'd say it, it is the most prayed prayer in the world. I would say it is the most prayed prayer in history. I would say the vast majority of you, if you, if, you have, if you prayed anything today, I guarantee you, you prayed this prayer. I promise you. It's two little words. Here's the words. Lord, bless. How many times have we prayed that? How many times do we pray that? I mean, every single day. Lord, bless this food. We'll go to a restaurant and eat it. Lord, bless this food. Lord, bless my family. Lord, bless my finances. Lord, bless my business. Lord, bless my children. Lord, bless my marriage. Lord, bless my health. Let me ask you a question. Why do we pray that prayer so often? Why is it we just, I mean, don't, sometimes I have to wonder, does God just get tired of hearing those two words? Lord bless, Lord bless, Lord bless. Why is that a prayer that we all pray so often and we all pray so easily? Let me tell you why. Because instinctively, we just know deep in our heart, there is nothing greater in life than to have the blessing of God. Nothing. Nothing can compare to having the blessing of God in your life. And why is that true? Because if God is greater than any other force in the world, and he is, if that's, if that's true, if God is greater than anything or anybody, then the blessing of God has to be greater than any other blessing in the world. So, listen to those words again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let's think about it. You said, let's think about it logically. Suppose I came to you and I said, hey, God wants to bless you. You said, oh, that's great. And I said, well, yeah, but, uh, let me just tell you this, though. God's going, God wants to offer you two blessings, okay? He's got two blessings. One's left hand, one's right hand. Now, suppose I said this to you. Now, this is the lesser blessing of the two, and this is the greater blessing of the two. And I said, now, you can have either blessing you want. You can have the lesser blessing, or you can have the greater blessing, okay? So, which blessing would you choose? Well, I know what you'd say. You'd say, Alex, I'll take the greater blessing for 200 all right? You watch Jeopardy, you'll get that, okay? Uh, hey, Alex, I want the greater blessing. Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, there are two blessings in life. There's the blessing of getting. He didn't say it was a bad thing to get. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said, look, there's a blessing in getting, 
There's a blessing in that. We all like to get gifts. We all like to get things. There's a blessing in giving. There's a blessing in receiving a gift, and there's a blessing in giving a gift. Jesus said both are blessings. But where we think the greater blessing is getting, Jesus said, oh, no. The greater blessing is giving. Now, what I just said to you, Wall Street won't tell you that. Your pocketbook won't tell you that. Your banker will not tell you that. Your accountant will not tell you that. Mathematics will not tell you that. So that raises the $64,000 question, okay? How is it more blessed to give than it is to receive? Because you talk about counterintuitive, by the way, it's also countercultural. Because everything you see on TV today, particularly at Christmas time, what, what is everything? Every commercial you see on TV is what? Get it. Buy it. Borrow it and pay for it. You deserve that new car. You need to wear these new clothes. You've got to have that new watch. This Christmas time, I mean, we're, we're, everything says you've got to get. So the question is, okay, how does giving leave you better off than giving? What does giving give you that getting never will? And here's what Paul does. In this simple little verse, in this simple little passage of Scripture, Paul tells us two things that clues us in that giving is the greater blessing and why it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And let me just be honest with you. When you decide, you know what, I'm going to believe that, I'm going to live that, I'm going to practice that, I promise you, you will be right on the money. So just two quick things we're going to talk about today. What is it that giving does for us, and how is it that giving is a greater blessing than getting? All right, watch this. Number one, giving delivers us from the bondage of greed. Giving delivers us from the bondage of greed. Now, let me tell you what Paul's doing in this, in this chapter. Paul is in a city called Ephesus. I've been there. Matter of fact, you ever get to go with me to, to, I'm going next year. If you ever get to go with me to Greece, one of the places we go, is one of my favorite places in the world is Ephesus. Because the reason why Ephesus is so fantastic, it is the greatest archaeological site, I think, in, in the world. When you go to Ephesus, you're walking miles and miles of the same streets that Paul walked on. I mean, we're walking on the very same streets. Well, Paul is in Ephesus, and, and, he's, and he's giving his farewell address to this church in Ephesus that he had founded. And so he's kind of telling them, hey, I'm about to leave you, and th this is how I want you to remember me as I leave. And so here's what he says to these Ephesian elders. He says, now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And then he says something that's kind of weird. He says, oh, by the way, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Now, that's not just a weird statement. That's a pretty bold statement. I mean, Paul, you never coveted anything that anyone had. Why, why do you even say that? Well, again, Ephesus, if you don't know anything about it, Ephesus was kind of like Las Vegas. It was a very, very rich city. There were definitely some well-to-do people who were in that church. There were people who came to that church, and they wore gold necklaces, and they wore silver earrings, and they wore the latest clothing styles. And yet Paul said, oh, by the way, I, I just want you to know I've never coveted anything you, you, you've got. I've never really wanted anything that you 
had. And, and, and the reason I say that's not only weird, it's kind of a bold statement, is because let me tell you something I know that's true of everybody in this room. We all covet at one time or another. I mean, everybody here has done that, right? You either, have, you know, you, we covet the clothes that somebody wears, or we covet the jewelry that somebody has on their hands, or we covet the car that somebody drives, or we covet the house that somebody lives in, or we covet the money that someone, you know, someone makes. The fact of the matter is, we all covet. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something. Some of the most covetous people in the world are rich people. Did you know that? Now, you'd think that wouldn't be true. You'd think if a person's rich, you wouldn't covet anything. That's absolutely not true. Somebody said this, who is more contented, a man with seven children or a man with seven million dollars? He said, the answer is the man with seven children because he doesn't want any more. Now, Paul said, Paul said, you know, I never wanted anything you had. You can keep your jewelry. You can keep your chariot. You can keep your sundial. You can keep your nice house. I didn't want anything that you have. He said, I'm content with what little I have. You say, man, let me ask you a question. How did he pull that off? Now, listen to this. This is so, so refreshing, so unbelievable to me. This, this has changed my perspective on some things. He said this in verse 34. He said, you yourselves know. Now, these hands, and he literally holds his hands up. He said, look at my hands. These hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Now, I have to be honest with you, that, that just inspires me. You know why? Let me tell you about Paul. Paul was what we would call today a bivocational missionary. In other words, Paul did not ask the churches for help. He didn't depend on the church for help. He could have. He could have asked all these churches. I mean, think about how many churches Paul founded in his lifetime. He could have said to all these churches, hey, look, I founded you. I led you to Christ. I preached the gospel. You're going to heaven because of my ministry. You owe me financial support. And Paul could have done that. He said it, it, it would have been rightly, uh, uh, right to do that. Could have gladly done that. But he didn't. He said, you know what? Look at my hands. I worked. Now, here's the question. Why did Paul do that? When he didn't have to work, why did Paul work? When he could have just been dependent on the other churches, why did he take a full-time job? All right, listen, watch this. It wasn't so much that he wanted to be independent or he wanted to be on his own. Because I've already said, as a matter of fact, he didn't even really have to support himself because we've already said he didn't really have to. So here's what Paul does. Paul holds up his hands. Now, remember, anybody remember what Paul, what, what was his job? Somebody tell me. Paul's a tent maker, all right? So why does Paul hold up his hands? Do you know what, how, how hard it is to make tents? Paul said, look at my hands. You see the blisters? You see the calluses? You see the sores? You see the cuts? He said, these hands worked. But you know why they worked? Not to meet my needs, but to meet the needs of my companions. Now watch this. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Now, listen to what Paul said. This, is, this is just blows my mind. Paul said, you know why I worked? You know why I worked when I didn't have to work? You know why I made money when I didn't really need to make money? I didn't do it so I could have stuff. I did it so I could meet the needs of my companions and I could help the weak. In other words, Paul said, let me tell you why I worked. Let me tell you why I had a job. I didn't work because I was greedy. I worked because I wanted to help the needy. I wanted to give 
to the needy. Now, you talk about being right on the money. Here's what Paul said. Listen, you, I'm going to revolutionize the way some of you think about your job right now. Paul said, I didn't work to make a living. I worked to get in on giving. I didn't work just so I could have a paycheck. Because I, Paul understood, listen, the primary purpose of your job, I'm going to share something you've never thought about before. The primary purpose of your job is not to make a living. So how do you know that? Who's going to meet your needs? Okay, so we got that taken care of. So what is the primary purpose of work? The primary purpose of work is not so much to meet your needs. It's not so much to make a living. The primary purpose of work is to make a life worth living by blessing others with your giving. I'll say that again. The primary purpose of work is not to make a living. It is to make a life worth living by blessing others with your giving. Now, see, this is so different from the way we think. For example, don't raise your hand. I guarantee you many of you have asked for a raise, right? Many of you have asked for a raise. I want to ask you a question. Why do people ask for a raise? I can tell you 100% of the time why they do it. It's real simple. The reason why we want to make more is because we want to have more. That's why we do it. So we, I'm not getting paid what I deserve. I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. So I want to raise. I want to make more so I can have more. All right, let me ask you a question. How many times do you think in the history of business, anybody walked into their office, walked into their boss and said, hey, could you give me a raise? Let me tell you why I want to have a raise. I just want to give more of my money away. Can you say zero? That ain't never happened. Matter of fact, you know what? Your boss would fire you from the Listen, if that's all the sense you've got, you don't need to work here anyway, right? No, nobody has ever done that. Now, here's, here's the dirty little secret that I'm going to give to you today. We're all born greedy. We're all born selfish. We're all born looking out for number one. I'll give you an example. This is a picture of my little grandson. Okay, this is, this is Connor. Connor's a little bit over one year old. You can say I'm raising him right, you know, the G and the dog and all that. So that's a picture of my little grandson. Now, I don't care what anybody says. That's the cutest little boy that's ever been born in the history of this planet. I mean, that's just my objective opinion, which is truth. Um, just a beautiful little boy. Now, let me just be honest with you. What you're seeing here is his good side. Okay, that, that, that's, that's Connor's good side. You say he has a bad side? Yeah, he's a lot like his nana, okay? He's got this... He's got this bad side. Let me tell you what happened just this week. This happened just this week. We were keeping him the other, the, this week and uh, I, I was, uh, we were actually getting our, starting to get our house decorated for Christmas and so Teresa was kind of decorating the tree and she said, hey, would you take a break, come in here and just sit with Connor while I'm decorating the tree? I said, okay. So I'm sitting there on the floor and I'm giving him his favorite treats. Connor loves Gerber blueberry puffs. They're little bitty stars. He just loves those things. So I'm sitting there, he's sitting right next to me, and I'm giving these little, little stars. Well, we have a little Boston Terrier, her name is Pocky. Now, Pocky was sitting on the other side. Well, guess what? Pocky loves these stars too, right? So I gave Connor, I wasn't even thinking about it. I gave Connor a, a puff, right? He's happy. And then I gave Pocky a puff. And he kind of looked. Didn't think anything about it. I gave him another puff. I started to give her another one. He reaches across me, tries to slap her across the face. He goes, bah, bah. Well, Teresa just fell in the floor laughing because she's with him all the time. I said, what is he doing? She's saying, you know what he's saying? He's saying, bad dog, bad dog. I said, what, what do you mean bad dog? She says, 
He doesn't want that dog to have any of his puffs. Now, I'm sitting there with two cans full of puffs, plenty of puffs for everybody. You can have a puff. I can have a puff. Everybody can have a puff. But that precious little boy wants all the puffs. Don't give the dog my puffs. He was born that way. Nobody taught him that. Nobody, I mean, let me tell you something. He finally ran the dog out of the room. I'm not joking. Now, here's my point. There's only one way to free yourself from the bondage of greed, and that's giving. Because you know why? Giving takes the focus off of yourself, and it puts the focus on others. Giving releases you from the bondage of always wanting what you want and gives you the freedom of giving others what they need. Let me tell you something. You want, you want to be happy? You want to be full of joy? Listen to this. Joy never comes from a mirror. Joy always comes from a window. Joy never comes from focusing on yourself. You won't get joy that way. Joy comes when you focus on other people. You know why people spend a lot of money every summer? They do it every year. Why do people spend a lot of money? They'll spend thousands of dollars to go down to the beach and buy a beachfront condo for one week. Thousands of dollars. Don't even think anything about it. Well, why, why, why do they do that? I tell you why they don't do it. They don't buy that, they don't rent that condo so they can go in and stand in front of a mirror all day and sing how great thou art. They don't do it for that reason. You know why they want a beachfront condo? Not so they can look in the mirror. They want to look out the window. They don't rent that condo to look at themselves. They look at the, they rent that condo to look out at the beautiful beach. And here's what I want you to understand. Greed always puts you in front of a mirror. Giving always puts you in front of a window. I'll tell you something I thought about the other day. I was working on this message. I'll bet you'll, I'll bet you'll agree with this statement. I have never met a happy, greedy person in my life. And I have never met an unhappy, giving person in my life. So I want to do a little bit of an experiment right now, okay? And I want you to be honest. How many of you have ever, ever heard somebody criticize the church because the church talked about giving and money? Just be honest. How many of you have ever heard people do that? Okay, we're going to be unanimous, all right? We've all heard people, they get so angry and upset because people talk about giving and about money. As a matter of fact, that's where some of you are right now. You just won't admit it, okay? So, so let, let, let me just help you here. Let me share with you why we're doing this series. Let me share, you, share with you why we're talking about giving. Let me share with you why I don't just talk about it. I do it gladly. I do it enthusiastically. I do it willingly. Because the second truth is this. Not only does giving free us from the bondage of greed, here's the second thing giving does. It delivers us to the blessing of God. It delivers us to the blessing of God. Now, let's come back to that central statement. All right, it's real simple. And look, you either believe it or you don't. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That one statement drove the apostle Paul to do what he did. It drove him to go where he went. It drove him to be what it was. Jesus said, we make a living by what we get for ourselves. We make a life by what we give to others. Now, if what Jesus said is true, and let's just say that's true. Let's just let's assume for a moment, okay, I believe it. All right, if you really believe it, now watch this. <clears throat> then everybody ought to line up outside that door when this message is over and come shake my hand and hug my neck and thank me. I'll talk to you about giving. I mean, if, if, that's, if, that, if this is true, then you ought to say, hey, thank you for sharing that with me. You know why? 
Because if what Jesus said is true, all I'm trying to do, folks, is put you in the most blessable position you can get in. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put you in a position where God can bless you. By the way, you know what that word blessed literally means? It literally means to be happy. It means to make happy. Jesus said happiness is the natural byproduct of blessing other people. Happiness is what you get when you give to meet the needs of other people. And see, that's why in our church, we provided so many great ways that you can be blessed by giving your tithes and offerings to our church. The tithe that we ask you to give, that supports the budget that allows us to minister to others 24-7. Above your tithe, you give your offerings to, like our Be More campaign. What does that do? It supports our missions ministry. It supports the incredible kids space that will be built beginning in just a few weeks. It supports all of our other campuses. We're throwing, going through, here's some pictures right now of what you're investing in when you give to be more. You're, you're, you're giving to, uh, to the kids area. You're giving to the, to the Mill Creek campus. You're giving to the Lanier campus. And Jesus said, you want to be happy? Yeah, but Lord, I want to be happy. Life's too short to be sad. May as well be happy. He said, then the greatest path to happiness is when you give to meet the needs of others. Now, let me just say this. I have learned one thing about happiness. I had to learn it the hard way, but I've learned it. You will never, ever be happy if you try to get it for yourself. If you go looking for happiness, you won't find it. I'm telling you. You will never get happiness if you go after it for yourself. I'm going to give you one example. Take marriage, for example. Let's just take marriage. One of the biggest mistakes people make in getting married you know why people get married? One of the biggest mistakes they make is because they think, if I get married, my marriage will make me happy because of what I'm going to get out of it. So that's why a lot of marriages don't make it. And that's why a lot of marriages are unhappy, because they both went into the marriage thinking about what they were going to get out of it. One psychologist said, the way most people come to marriage is the way a tick comes to a dog. He said, the tick only latches onto the dog for what it can get out of it. He said, that's the way most people come to marriage. And then he said this. He said, the only problem is in marriage, there are two ticks and no dog. Now, the people who are happiest in marriage are the people who look for ways that they can give happiness to their spouse, not get happiness from their spouse. I've been married, as you know, Teresa, 40 years, 40 plus years. We have a perfect marriage. But I got a happy marriage. I, I hate to leave home, and I love it when I come home. I sat down beside her this morning before I came to church. I sat down beside her, and I said, honey, just wanted you to know I'm, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so glad you married me. You're my best friend. Next to Jesus, the best thing ever happened in my life was you. You know why? She spent 40 years trying to make me happy. And I am happiest as a husband when I'm trying to make her happy. We are happiest in our marriage when we say, you know what? I'm not in this for what I can get out of it. I'm in it for what I can give to it. And you know what happens? When I give to it, guess what? I get more back than I gave to it. It's an incredible, incredible thing. I mean, it's been proven time and time again. If you look for happiness and all the things you can get, you'll never find it. But when you start looking for ways to give and make others happy and bless and make other people's lives blessed, then happiness will find you. And by the way, can I just make this, this is so important. Please don't think I'm just talking about money. Please, please don't think that. 
When I talk about giving, matter of fact, you know, for some of you in this room, money is probably the least important thing you need to give to our church. In fact, let me tell you this. If it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, that goes for your time. That goes for your talents. That goes for your abilities. That goes for the way that you can serve other people. I want to tell you something. We need you, and God wants you to give your time and your giftedness and your abilities to help us meet the needs of other people. I have pastored five churches. This year, in December, if God lets me live, I will celebrate my 40th year as a pastor. Now, for some of you that don't, some of you, well, for some of you that don't know me, I started pastoring when I was three, okay? But I, I will celebrate my 40th year as a pastor. Let me tell you what I've learned. 40 years in five churches. The people that are happiest in church and the people who are most fulfilled in the church and the people who get the most out of the church are the people who serve in a church by far and away. And I just want to say a word. If you volunteer in our church in any area, I just want to say thank you because I want you to understand I get it. We couldn't open our doors without you. Listen, let me tell you something. About all, let, me, let me tell you something. I'll, I'll let you clap in a minute. Let, let me just say something about all our volunteers. Do you realize that practically everything that's done in our church for free, our volunteers could get paid for doing it somewhere else. Take child care. People get paid for child care all the time. Take directing traffic. You can go to any public venue and get a job helping direct traffic and park cars. How about ushers and greeters, okay? Go down to the Fox Theater. You think those ushers and greeters are doing that just out of the goodness of their heart? No, they're getting paid for it. They're getting paid to take you to your seat. They're getting paid to hand you a, 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 a program. They're getting paid to, to be nice to you. So I just want to thank all of our volunteers for teaching us by example. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So now, would you just let our volunteers know how much you appreciate them and how much you love them? Now, listen. Don't take my word for anything I've said to you. Please don't do that. Listen. Let's go back to the one who made this statement to begin with. Let's go back to Jesus. Many of you know I was an accounting major, okay? So I want you to understand something. I learned about the bottom line. Trust me. That's one thing you learn about accounting. The most important line is the bottom line. If you're a bottom line thinker and I'm a bottom line thinker, if you're a bottom line thinker, then you'll love Jesus because he was a bottom line thinker too. And he was actually arguing from the bottom line that it's better to give than it is to receive. And here's what he was trying to get you to understand. The reason why you ought to give, be more passionate about giving than receiving, the reason why it's more blessed to give than to receive, it's not just because it's the right thing to do, it is the smart thing to do. And you say, well, why is that? For one simple reason. What I said earlier. You're going to leave behind every single thing you get in this life everything you get you're going to leave it behind you're not going to take it with you however you literally can send it on ahead you can get an eternal return on your investment by giving and investing in the only thing that's going to last forever and that's people as a matter of fact elsewhere Paul wrote these words and I'm going to put it in a kind of a modern translation because I love the way this translation puts it listen to what Paul said Paul said give happily that's why the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Give happily to those in need. Always be ready to share whatever God has given you. By doing this, you'll be storing up real treasures for yourself in heaven. I love this next part. It is the only safe investment for eternity. 
Now, you've got to make a decision. We're going to wrap this up. You've got to make a decision. Either you believe it's more blessed to receive than it is to give, or you believe it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So let me just kind of tell you something I want you to do, and I'll kind of maybe illustrate the point this way. I want every one of you, and this is not a, you know, not a, not a, not, I'm not trying to be funny. I want you to do something. I want every one of you to hold your hand out right now, your right hand right in front of you like this, okay? Everybody got it? Hold your hand out. Now, I want you to make a fist. I want you to grit your teeth, and I want you to squeeze that fist as hard as you can. I mean, I want you to squeeze it. I mean, I want you to, I want you to imagine if George Washington was in there, you would strangle him to death right now. Okay, I want you to, I mean, hold it. Just keep holding it. Squeeze it just as hard as you can. I mean, just squeeze it. Keep squeezing it. Now, if you don't believe what Jesus said, that will be exactly the attitude you have towards your money. It's my money. I don't like you talking about my money. All you're after is my money, and you ain't going to get my money. That'll be your attitude. I worked on that all week. It's my money, and you're not taking it from me, you crooked preacher. You're not doing it. Now, relax your hand. Simple question. Which feels better? <laughs> Some of you are going, man, I, am so, I thought I was going to lose a fingernail, right? I'm so glad that I've done that. Listen. Jesus said, when you really believe, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You'll hold everything you have like that with an open hand. You know why you'll do that? You say, Lord, not only is it all yours, but you know what, Lord? You can have it all. You, you, you take whatever you want. I'll, I'll live off the rest. And you know why, Lord, I know I can do that? Because you've already promised you're going to meet all my needs according to your riches and glory. In Christ Jesus. See, I believe the greatest blessing you will ever get in life is the blessing that comes to you when you give back to life. I believe a life worth living is built on giving. So I want to close with a story. I read a book. I love to read biographies. And there's a great book. If you like biographies, one of the best biographies I've ever read is a book called Titan, T-I-T-A-N. Great book. If you like to read, this is a suggestion. Ron Chernow wrote the book, and it's the, it's the story of John D. Rockefeller, one of the most fascinating men who ever lived. For most of his life, John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world. As a matter of fact, you remember Standard Oil Company? Rockefeller founded that. At one time, are you ready for this? At one time, John D. Rockefeller controlled all of the oil supply in all of the world. That's how rich he was. He was filthy rich. At the age of 53, he was dying. He had these tremendous stomach problems. He battled with ulcers and, 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 and indigestion, and, and, and he couldn't sleep. And, and his doctors told him unless he got better, he only had about five months to live. So Rockefeller made a decision. He said, you know, since it looks like I'm going to die, I might as well do something I've always been needing to do and wanting to do. He said, I'll tell you what, I, I, I'm going to start just giving a lot of my money away. And he started giving money away by the millions. Now, this was 120 years ago, folks. Keep about, This is when a million was really worth a million. 
He started giving millions of dollars away. Instead of working himself to death as he was doing, trying to make all the money that he could, he started spending most of his time giving his money away. Guess what happened? His ulcers healed. His indigestion went away. His blood pressure lowered. In a few months, he was back to complete health. He went on to live 45 more years. Toward the end of his life, someone asked him, what was the secret to your health? He said four words. I learned to give. Now, last thing. That's just one story. I could give you the story of billions of people who've given their, you know, who've done what he's done, or a lot of people. But let me just close with this thought, and I'm going to prove to you. If, if nothing else, if you're still, still saying, I, I'm just, I'm sorry, I don't believe it, then I'm going to leave you with this thought. I'm going to prove to you. When I say this, nobody in this room can say I'm wrong. You can't do it. When you give your heart and you give your life to Jesus Christ, here's what you get back in return. You get forgiveness of all of your sins. You get a home in heaven. You get a permanent relationship with God. You get a peace that passes all understanding. You get a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And you get a purpose for living. So I'm telling you, as a satisfied customer, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's pray together. With heads bowed, with eyes closed. No one moving, no one stirring. Just a moment. Just give me a minute. Listen. I want to ask you to do something today. Forget your money. Forget your pocketbook. Let's get off of that.